Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. This is episode 87. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, filling in for Troy Goodfellow. With me tonight is Goose to my Maverick, Julian Rabbit Murdoch. How come I have to be Goose? That doesn't seem fair. Goose well, you dies. can't be Maverick. You can't Goose, be Maverick. Goose and dies. the Iceman relationship is way too homoerotic, so Goose it is. Oh. Hello. Also, <laughs> also joining us is freelance writer and blogger Rhea Monique, a.k.a. Ashelia of Hellmode.com. Rhea, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's good to be here. Um, so tonight we're getting a little bit speculative. Um, you have no idea how exhausting it is to talk about strategy every week. So tonight we're talking uh, about features and innovations that we've observed in other genres uh, that we'd like to see popping up more in strategy games. Um, and I mean, kind of what's what's put this topic on my mind lately is because um, I had a console earlier this year, I've started playing um, sports games again. And one of the things that I've really I've really enjoyed with games like F1 2010 or with uh, NHL 11 is I really enjoy how customizable they are. Uh, you can really tailor the experience to exactly the kind of game you want to play. Um, you know, you can you can adjust. You know, in in an EA Sports game, you have sliders that you can adjust how frequently something's going to occur. Um, you can decide what aspects of the player control model you really want to deal with and what you'd like the computer to handle. Um, and, you know, I've been playing these games, and I really just enjoy how I'm able to slowly get into these games, um, basically in little bite-sized chunks, rather than having to learn an entire complicated system uh, from the ground up from day one. And I really feel like that's something that a lot of strategy games... Um, and I'm looking at you, Victoria, too, uh, <laughs> could, could really benefit from, uh, where it just, it, it, allows, it allows the game to be simplified for the player, um, and then you can introduce complications as you go on. So I, I feel like some games do at least make a run at this, right? So, I mean, if we're, let's separate a couple of the components here because I think sports games are a great analogy, right? So I, I, let's, let's stick to a straight racing game like Forza 3 or Forza 2, right? So yeah. these are games where how deep into the game you want to get is really a function of how difficult you want to make it. Right. So you can you can choose to put everything towards arcadey mode or you can choose to make everything incredibly difficult and not be able to get your VW around the corner in the parking lot. Right. And 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 in between, you sort of fine tune your experience as you go. Now, to some extent, bigger budget strategy games do try to do this. Right. And they do it in a couple of ways. I mean, just let's just take Civ five. Right. So certainly at the easier levels of difficulty, you can just ignore certain components of the game and you'll still do fine. But more than that, you can go in when you set up your little uh, world to play in and you can choose whether to turn certain victory conditions on and off. You can change how the map looks. So I think there's some of that customization there. I think it's in the deeper strategy games, which also tend to be smaller in terms of budget, oddly. Uh, that 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 sort of variation seems to disappear. Yeah, it seems the more mainstream they get, the more um, approachable and accessible it is. For like even StarCraft too, uh, it's the missions are staged in a way that you gradually learn each level, so it's not like you're just being thrown a thousand units and trying to figure out what's going on. 
Right. And when you jump into a multiplayer match, if you and I were going to play against each other, we would at least have a lot of options about, about how complex we wanted to make that game. Or you could even do a co-op and do the easiest mode with, you know, your friend. So you're on a team and right. you can even manipulate their units if they're really bad or something. I, so- I think I think a more interesting part about some sports games is that they lend themselves to be playing being played in very different ways. I mean, I'm thinking of sort of the classic franchise mode kind of play. Right. Which which that's that's a, a level of sort of layering that I think we rarely see in strategy games where you can sort of choose which way you want to play the game at all. Uh, what do you mean? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I'm just thinking I'm, I'm trying to remember which version of Madden first introduced it, where where you could essentially start playing the game almost more as manager and less as player on the field. Um, and, and I know that, that quite a few sports franchise games have gone that direction. And certainly if you look at the more obscure sort of European games, I know some of the cycling games are nothing but uh, sort of management simulators more than anything else. Um, the, I think some strategy, some sports games have brought in that, that level of control. I mean, even if you look at something like Blood Bowl, right, to a large extent, that game becomes one of managing your roster as much as managing the team on the field. Uh, and And that's something that... I think I, I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with examples of strategy games where it feels like you've got that dichotomy between the strategy of the game and the tactics of the game. Well, let me ask you, I mean, does, does a Defense of the Ancients style game kind of count for, um, say, your be a pro mode in NHL 11 where you, where you, play, a, where you play a hockey player? Um, I mean, it's an imperfect analogy, obviously, but... You know, in a Dota game, you're you're pretty much tasked with managing. You're really tasked with managing one asset, right? But the right. learning curve is so steep for Dota. That's the problem. It's um, to be actually good at it, you have to learn what the heroes do. You have to learn the whole curve of everything. It's not a game that you know you're going to be even good at months later. I think that's, so that's true not for quite the same. for the clones too, like League of Legends or Demigod. I mean, I think that's very true. That, that yeah, they're really hard games. They're tough to get into. They're easy to approach at first, um, but then you quickly get overwhelmed. Well, this is this is kind of this is kind of my point actually, because like I, I think we got I think there's a good analogy to be made there where um, what I'm doing in NHL NHL 11 right now is be a pro, where I'm taking my hockey star avatar uh, through a hockey career, and what I've done is pretty much turn the difficulty down. Um, turned penalties down so I'm not spending half the game in the penalty box and I've turned on auto shot so I don't have to manually aim every single shot on goal I take um, so you're at that point you're almost playing it as a career simulator and less as a game simulator yeah pretty much like I'm, I'm, I'm basically learning how to play a position in hockey and I'm learning how to control my character. And if you if you look at if you look at the controls available in NHL 11, I mean, I haven't played a hockey game since like NHL 97. And there's like four or five different control schemes based on do you have the puck? Are you on defense and you, you're going for the puck? Are you on offense but you don't have the puck? There's all these schemes, and I, I think NHL lets you sort of focus on what you want to be learning right now and what you want to deal with right now. And I'm wondering if you take a game like Dota, where I think there is an analogy where you are, you are controlling like one dude out there. Um, I mean, is part of the reason that learning curve is so steep. Does the game kind of desperately need to take some of that off your plate where the game sort of helps you play your character? 
I think the pace is the bigger problem in Dota would just be the whole pace of it, especially if you go with multiplayer with people who are good, it becomes sort of a click fest, you know, like you have to have the fastest reactions because it's obviously, you know, I mean, there's real time strategy elements, but if you don't really know what you're doing in Dota, like let's say it's one of your first times playing, you get overwhelmed so quickly, not even because the game isn't, you know, the game's not helping you. Yes, but everyone around you is moving so fast because the pace is so frantic. Well, and that's, I mean, that's the classic problem of any sort of multiplayer community, especially one that's been around a while. Um, yeah, I mean, you run into that same steep current learning curve if you're playing Halo Reach, right? I mean, uh, you know, you can't jump into a, a you know, pickup game on Halo Reach. And actually, I mean, unless you've been playing for a while and expect to do any good. But I, but this is actually one thing I think that strategy games have done really well. I mean, I think that the StarCraft II ladder system is one of the best implementations of a sort of uh, matchmaking league system I've seen in any genre. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. it's really good. Right. And and so what I, I mean, I'd love to see that roll through what I would consider sort of, I, I mean, I, I don't want to consider StarCraft II an unserious game, but compared to, say, a Paradox game where you're going to be playing for hours and hours and hours at a time, um, it, it's certainly a quicker game, right? <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I mean, I would love to see matchmaking and and sort of the quality of multiplayer that you see in those sort of very short games like a StarCraft II pervasive in strategy games and that's something i think that i really miss um and and something that you know i think console gamers have come to expect in every genre whether it's in halo or whether it's in forza or whether it's in any other game they've come to expect that kind of ease of matchmaking uh and and systems for making sure that those matches are balanced and fair whether they're ranking systems whether they're uh, you know, uh, the systems where you're earning certain things and then they match people up based on what they've earned before. Um, strategy games really don't have that, and I wonder sometimes whether that's just because there just aren't as many players. I mean, that could be. I, I haven't played... I mean, I, I don't play multiplayer on my console really at all, but it, it certainly has always seemed to me like there's there's still a lot of problems with matchmaking, at least in first-person shooters. Like, I know when Reach came out and Sometimes when people are trying to get a new game like uh, Bad Company 2, there's this attitude that, you know, oh my god, you can't, you, you basically can't play the game because all you're doing is waiting to respawn. Right. Yeah, I think that that's true. Um, so, and, and I think that gets to the Dota problem, which is, you know, in the first two or three weeks after the release of a new console first-person shooter, I can be competitive. By week three, forget it. <laughs> you know, everybody yeah. passes my skill set so quickly that it's just not possible. Right, and and then and and that's one thing that the ladder system in StarCraft Two I thought dealt with brilliantly. Yeah, that's exactly what it does. It changes the pace basically. Like if if you were a bad player and you started doing your practice matches, you'd be placed immediately in a league where you wouldn't feel um frantic. You wouldn't have a guy that's already got a second expansion by the time you're building your you know first barracks. You wouldn't have that kind of pace yeah, going. Yeah, that, that would be that would be me. That would be me. <laughs> but is that is that just because I don't know I mean is that the the pacing of the games isn't changing it's really the pace at which your opponent is playing right yeah that's what it is I think like strategy games obviously I'm not an expert but it seems like when it's the multiplayer especially compared to like an FPS even it seems like they're more um, vulnerable to being scaling really badly because someone might be so much better than you that it puts the whole game in this really crazy pace because they have you know a lot of clicks per minute right 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 now does starcraft i know some 
RTSs do this. I, I don't know if StarCraft II does. Um, does it let you like cap the tech level you'll be dealing with? Gosh, I've never tried. Me either. I mean, not as a default. I don't think you're you're like playing like in or playing in an earlier league doesn't somehow like limit the amount of the game that's available. It doesn't limit it. What happens is like in the earlier levels, if you're playing like um, in bronze, I haven't really played in bronze, but I'm gonna assume you're gonna have um, people building less units like they're not going to know the units so they're going to kind of build the wrong tech trees like they're going to randomly right, go they're not uh, perfectly flying units right. and ground units and starcraft 2 is one of those games that really suffers if you split your forces like you want to have a strict build like pro players go in with you know um, marines and marauders if they're terrans and that's what they go in immediately that's their first tier build they go um when they get rushed they come out they counter then they upgrade to either air or air units or ground units but you know i mean a person who's newer to the game is probably just going to build whatever looks cool or whatever they think hits hard so they're going to have this whole like unoptimized build so the pace is really slow you know what i mean like they're going to be researching random things they're going to get armor for their tanks even though they only have one tank you know so what other what other things do we would we like to see from other genres pulled in to strategy games i mean i have a big long list but I'm, i'm curious what other people think I would like more first-person stuff. I know that's kind of... I know there's some games that have done it, like Battlezone 2, but I like the idea of being able to zoom in after your overhead and see how the battle's unfolding. Yeah, and I would like actual character development there, too. I mean, I, certainly in the single-player versions of some games, I'm thinking of, like, Dawn of War 2, right? You get... You, there are these attempts to, to spin these single-player stories where you're, like, actually trying to identify with a specific unit on the field. Um, but but they always feel pretty thin, right? And I never feel particularly connected, right? And so yeah, I, I would love... Yeah, it, it, it is always a reach. And so I would love games where um, I felt like I was actually having a bit of an RPG experience in the middle of my strategy game. And there are definitely tactics games that have a lot of story in them. I'm thinking of things like Jean Dark on the PSP or the Final Fantasy Tactics series where you're definitely telling a, a sort of more classic RPG-like story uh, over the course of your strategy or tactics game, but but never in the same sense that you're feeling engaged with a real sort of first-person shooter or real first, a first-person narrative shooter, something like a Fallout 3, or, or a first-person role-playing game. Go on. Oh, I think, I think a lot of that just happens to be because you're not really having this agency with the character, like you're still overseeing it, you know? And it's sort of just a name in the battlefield a lot of the times, even if it's a hero character. I'd like to see there be more impacts, like... For example, a mission doesn't have to be over because a hero died. What if it changed the cinematics later in the game? Like, what if you killed Rainer? What if this, that game could continue? This goes exactly to the frustration I'm, curr- I'm currently having with Valkyria Chronicles. I'm playing Valkyria Chronicles right now. And, I mean, two of the things we, we just brought up. Um, one is that you've got this huge roster of characters, right? And the game sort of pretends to differentiate them. Like, um, you know, well, this scout... I don't know, some bogus, like, this scout is really prejudiced against Darksons, uh, the dark-haired characters in the game. Uh, This scout is um, a loner, does better when he's off away from the squad. But ultimately, they're they're all interchangeable. It's got this veneer of, like, RPG elements, but it's all kind of phony. I mean, at least that's how, how it seems to me. Like, 
when I, when I got into it, I was like, all right, this this reminds me a bit of a game like, say, Jagged Alliance. Um, and I was sort of looking forward to caring about the guys in my squad until I realized that effectively they were all identical. Right. Um, and I just, I mean, that was that was a major disappointment. And the other thing is exactly that. Like, there were a bunch of characters that were basically sacred cows. Like, they couldn't die during a mission or it was game over. Um and that, that, I mean, that was really disappointing. Like, I mean, because most of the, most of the time, these were the characters who were most likely to get endangered during a mission, and to have the game stop and say, "Well, sorry, um, you lost Rosie, so the game can't continue." It, it kind of makes that whole that, that whole tension between, like, you know, protecting your men. It makes that kind of a lie, right? Right. They're usually just like faceless. Uh you know, faceless squadrons in any game. Like, I remember Warcraft 2, there was like a, uh, I think it was Throne of Darkness. It was like a Lyria Windrunner. You're supposed to escort her around, but all the units around her can die. But if she dies, it's over. And I remember playing that growing up and just thinking, this isn't fun. I mean, it's fun. I'm liking the game, but at the same time, it's kind of like, why can't she die? Why, Why are these other people allowed to die, but she can't? Like, what's that? Why is that there? But I want to go back to the the, the first-person perspective thing, because I I do feel like there is this... I feel like games are a little less willing to experiment with things like perspective and, um, you know, the perspective can change gameplay now than they used to be. I mean, I vividly remember this this one game, um, Incubation. Do either of you, does that ring a bell? No, I ring a bell, but I never played it. I want to say it was a Blue Byte game sort of tangentially related to the Battle Isle series, but, I mean, it's years ago, I can't really remember. But what was really cool about it is it was in that first generation of, like, you know, 3D accelerator cards were just coming out. And you played, you took control of squads of, like, Space Marines um, in these, I mean, they're basically like... um, kill houses almost like all very tightly constrained uh, corridors but you sort of played it from this really it was either a really close third person perspective or it was a first person perspective um and you sort of moved your guys around these these little like you know battle mazes and took on aliens and i just remember like it was this really intense claustrophobic experience, not the kind of thing you usually get from a squad-based tactical game. But this was something where, you know, it wasn't just a matter of you couldn't see what was around the corner because of fog of war, but, like, you literally couldn't see what was around that corner. Like, you were controlling the dude, and you were going to use another action point to step into the intersection, and God knows what you're going to find on the other side. And that was really, that was really cool, but it's also that's also not something I, I see much of or any of really anymore in um you know in, in strategy games. Yeah. Yeah, they they stopped doing that. They stopped doing the genre experimentations. I mean, I'm sure they still do them on some scale, but I remember back in like the late nineties, early two thousands, there was like a game called Allegiance. Yep. If either of yep. you played it. Yep, yep, yep. And I and I, I mean you just don't see games like that anymore. You don't what see them was, taking those elements. What was Allegiance? You know, I don't remember it that well. All I remember is that it had these strategy components on the planets, and it also had kind of a Star Fox-like fighter. And I like that genre mix-up. So, yeah, I, and, you know... It, it, and oddly, it seems like we get this uh, the, this sort of 
genre mixing in sci-fi more than anything else. I mean, I'm think I was trying to think back on on different kinds of genres I would want implemented. One of the things that I keep hoping for is more persistence in, in RTSs. And I'm you know I'm an MMO player, no no surprise there. Um, and I know there have been many attempts to create sort of real massively multiplayer online RTSs, but they've all kind of fallen short. Yet there are MMOs like EVE Online, which ultimately become these giant economics and political simulators, similar to what we would see in a game, say, like Victoria. Right? I mean, a lot of the kinds of decisions that are being made there, but on a sort of an MMO human to human scale are being played out there. Um, I would love to see the strategy gamers or the strategy designers trying to embrace a little bit more of that. And and I don't I really don't see that. I mean, even things that are supposedly going to be massively multiplayer like Civnet, I think, are largely just going to be uh, fancy matchmaking systems for the same kinds of games we've been playing. It seems like the game's always over um, when a map ends in strategy. At least that's been my experience. It always feels like that. When you're playing a game like Left 4 Dead, it's kind of cohesive. There's a stage, you know, you're on no mercy and each level is happening, but it's telling a story. But with a strategy game, at least a lot of the times it feels like you're just going to map to map. It doesn't seem to really be persistent or tell a story. Yeah, and that that persistence, I think, has been a real bugaboo for, for a lot of genres. I mean, I'm thinking back to things like Planetside. Uh, you know, which was a first-person shooter science fiction um, where you were actually fighting over the course of weeks over big pieces of territory, uh, and and those territories had real strategic value. Uh, and so it was this sort of interesting blend of real first-person shooter combat, you know, sort of role-based tactical combat and squads uh, on the ground, but as part of a larger strategic map. And I think that's what to me, that's a little bit of the holy grail is to really do that well. Planetside captured a piece of it, but I love the idea of a big game where you've got strategic components going on that are affecting the world, and you also have those real in-the-trenches first-person experiences that make, make you feel like your individual actions really mattered in a particular conflict. And it doesn't seem like it would be impossible. I just don't know why we haven't seen more of it. Maybe it's too too much. But, you know, I'd settle for even the illusion of taking part in, like, a larger like, conflict. No, because I'd like to, like, the Left for Dead example, I think, is an interesting one because I think, you know, I think in a lot of strategy games, they, they all suffer from, like, this um, old country buffet style, um, you know, approach to how, how, you get, how you're going to leave the customer satisfied. You are going to stuff them full of so much variety and maps that, you know, they, they won't. You know they'll walk away not not being able to take anymore, but what you don't get is the concentration on the sort of left for dead experience, right? Where you know this it's not going to change that much from from round to round, but sort of a game where where you and a group of people um, are taking part in like a scenario, and you know depending on who you're playing it with, the scenario can change, but you're always sort of working within this intricately designed framework. And in strategy games, you're exactly right. I think most of the time it's just, well, there's the map, and who's going to wipe the other guy off of the map? But I look at a game like Left 4 Dead, and you know, I sort of, I sort of think back to the days when I used to play like Battletech, where, we, where me and my friends would sort of pretend that we were all part of um, 
you know, a military unit. And we'd all sort of role play like, okay, I'll be in charge of like the assault mechs. You'll be in charge of the recon mechs. And we're going to cooperate and work our way through these scenarios. Right. And, and I mean, I, again, I, I think it's, it can be an illusion. I mean, thinking back to allegiance, you know, I mean, allegiance was, if I, if I'm remembering right, cause it seems like a million years ago, but I think it was only like 10. I mean, there were definite RTS components where there was an economy you were managing, but the bulk of the game was really sort of classic space simulation, blowing up capital ships, et cetera. Um, but, but there was this other layer that was sort of in, it had this feeling like you were really changing the combat on a strategic scale. And then you hopped into a ship and you blew up a bunch of fighters and then you blew up a capital ship. And that it was had awesome. had a sense of like permanence too. Like you had ownership almost because you're building this kind of economy. You're participating. Right. Although I don't think it was. I, I don't recall that it was like a truly persistent world, but the games were big enough that you really felt. Yeah, like, it, had, it had an illusion though. It just like how you know, I mean, go, to go back to Left 4 Dead, it's got it's not really telling much of a story, but by putting each safe room at the end of the level and then starting the level with the same safe room, that's right. an illusion, and that's what Allegiance was doing to a smaller degree. It had this illusion that you were playing something bigger, even if it was probably really small. When I think about it, right, and it did definitely have classic RTS elements. Like I think, if I recall right, you started in a little base and you had to sort of go out and expand and get your ability to get more fighters out there, get more ships out there, yeah, yeah to get and more if, resources. And, yeah, and if you went and destroyed the enemy's bases, their ability to make new ships went down. So there was definitely that strategic push and pull. Which, I mean, again, not to harp on it, EVE Online to some extent has that, although a lot of it's player generated. It's not so much in the systems itself. But, like, but, EVE is impossible to get into now because of that. Like, I, I've actually only so played complex. a little bit because the yeah. economy has been years building that a new player cannot just, you know, sign up and actually flourish in that game. It would take months upon months to even begin to make a dent in it. Right. Unless you were just immediately adopted by an existing group of actual human beings. But even then, you're likely to take, like, you're basically going to be doing drudge work for the organization, unless you're, like, really tight with the leaders, but right? But that's, like, the, that's the MMO problem, right? I mean, if you hop into World of Warcraft right now, you're going to spend months getting yourself to the point where you can contribute to a guild's raiding strategy, right? I mean, that's that's the problem with most MMOs, is that they become a race to the end game, right? And that end game is where most of the interesting stuff is really happening, Right. Which the thing about the thing that's great about most strategy games, which, like you say, Ray, you know, there's the the you know, the the map is over and the game is over problem. That's actually also one of the best parts about it is that every time that map starts, you're starting from scratch at the same level as everybody else. Right. So there's I there seems like there should be a way to layer that together right, to get the best of both worlds. Seems like it just needs an illusion, honestly. Like the smallest of illusions might make it feel a little more cohesive. Well, I'm thinking too, like how some people get together to enjoy a game like Men of War, right? Where um, if you're if you're co-oping Men of War, um, you know, it's like you and your group of buddies are like, you know, you're you're infantrymen in a little squad, and you can play through this mission, and then it it is sort of like this RTS Left 4 Dead experience, right? Because it's basically you and your dudes wandering through this war zone, you know, grabbing, you know, ammo and weapons off the dead and trying to complete the mission. And, you know, the mission's not going to change and the missions are, you know, loosely linked, but, you know, possibilities unfold within that um, just by virtue of you playing with other people. And 
I mean, I don't know. That's not, that's something I I just like to see more of. Like, I think that's where the the illusion sort of comes from. Like, you have a scenario that's crafted to tell a story or suggest a story rather than just a geographic territory. Right. But sounds kind of like an RTS FPS hybrid would be. I mean, I, I've always really enjoyed those, but there's very few of those. They kind of help the illusion a lot. Yeah. No, I just I just remembered. Um, did either of you guys play Battlezone? No, I did not. I did a long time ago. Yeah, I only played a, a little bit myself, but I, th- that seems like it was another one of those, you know, really experimental games, right? Where it was an RTS, but you spent you played the RTS from basically the cockpit of your hover tank. I think it suffered from being really sparse, though. Like uh, I remember. I remember the world just being really desolate. So even though you're in this first person attacking, it, I, I didn't find the experience as enjoyable. And that might have just been the dating of it. You know, it might be too old where it wasn't as memorable of an experience. I kind of like to see that experimented more now that we have more capabilities to add more details to the world and stuff. No, absolutely. Um, I think I think one of the things that game ran into was just I, I don't think I think it was one of those designs that was sort of before its time, right? Where it was this really ambitious. It's going to be an RTS, but it's also going to be a really um, kick-ass vehicle combat, futuristic combat game. And you know, I mean, we were playing on like Pentium 100s. Yeah, and it does neither very well because of that. I mean, it it does for the time, obviously. Oh, it kind of reminded me of SimCopter, and that may seem like a stretch, but it's like you build this city, and then you're yeah, able to do all these crazy missions. Yeah. But in reality, when you go back to it, you're like, this game doesn't really have much depth because it's not really doing anything. It's just showing me the ground level of a place that I should be managing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's what we're, it, it, we keep coming back to sort of a, a core issue here, which is which is this idea, I think, that that many other genres of game contain at least an implied strategic layer. Um, so, I mean, take, take, I don't know, doom, right. There's an implied strategic layer there, which is you're, you're, you know, somebody's telling you to go through something to achieve a certain set of objectives. And there've been plenty of first person shooters that try to create a, a layer of that. I'm thinking of uh, like alien swarm or something like that, where they're, they sort of try to make the first person shooter experience pull back to being strategic it sounds like some of what we're talking about in a lot of different ways is is really a desire to have a deep strategy game that has all the stuff we love about a, a Civ or a Sins of Solar Empire or Victoria 2, God forbid, um, but that also lets us actually zoom way in to the point where we're actually playing a first-person shooter or we're actually driving the tank. Yeah, have actually the flying the helicopter. Yeah, I mean, you know, that in some ways sounds a little bit like us hoping for the perfect game, you know? Yeah, but I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. I mean, there's natural selection. There's other RTS FPS hybrids. Like if you guys have played that mod, natural selection is game. brilliant for that reason. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's very rare though, and I'm wondering why more people don't do it. It's a. Uh, it, it's really a good experience. I, you get to. I mean, I especially like the idea of versus like. To go back to Left 4 Dead, if you had the idea of, like, when you were playing the zombies, what if instead of controlling, you know, the hunters or the spitters, what if you were placing them in the map? You know what oh, I mean? Yes. Um, overwhelming people. Oh, then I could win. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty mm-hmm. funny. Well, I mean, I I would love, I mean, I, I mean we've all sort of fantasized we play Left 4 Dead, like a game where you basically play the director. And maybe your your tools are. And a little they have mods more... that let you. I mean, there was Zombie Master. 
was a mod that let you. I mean, there's a lot of... It, it seems like modding keeps going back to the RTS-FPS hybrid, but games don't do it as much. And it, you got to wonder, would that be a you know a perfect game if you could get those elements perfectly balanced? You know, I... I, I mean, I obviously, it probably wouldn't be a perfect game, but I, I think it'd be... It, it would scratch the itch. I think a lot of games are sort of trying to reach. Like I, there, there are, for instance, there are so many, um, you know, team-based tactical shooters that really, I mean, they're only at their best when people are really cooperating and forming strategies, playing but, them very strategically, right? Right. But but we, you keep running up against this problem where that's rare. It's rare that you find yourself in that game. But if that was the game. You know what I mean? Like, if you're playing that strategy FPS hybrid, then maybe it's not down to you lucking into a team with, like, 11 other really cooperative... But, you know, the, the irony of the irony is that the place where you see more of that large-scale, on-the-ground strategy where you've actually got, you know, 25 guys working towards a common purpose with a well-rehearsed strategy and a command and control infrastructure, it's freaking WoW raids. I mean, I don't mean to keep coming back to it, but but you look at a big organized 25-person WoW raid, and that's what it is. Now, I mean, to some extent, it feels a little sad to me that that's where you have to go to find it, because honestly, I'd rather be doing that playing a tank platoon or something like that. Um, but, but when I think about the places where you're seeing a big group of people working together on a strategic cause, that's the only place I can think of it. I mean that that um, I, I think of some of those huge like um, well no you're saying reliably because I just my thoughts went to um, Arma two, you know and like how I mean how that community will get together for what basically sure like, huge but that's a pr- that's a yeah and and you know extremely cool gaming mean, Arma two does all sorts of things in a really interesting way I mean it's one of the only games you can actually put on your little uh, you know your head tracking software and look into the woods right I mean all sorts of things about that game are extremely cool but I think the community for that is so small at this point I don't know maybe maybe you could say the same thing about core strategy games too yeah. Maybe maybe it just is that World of Warcraft has such a large user base, you know, it's got what over twelve million supposedly. Yeah, I know, Something but I like hate that. giving credit just for that. That's sort of like saying everybody drives Hondas because everybody Well in the in the game isn't very strategic. <laughs> like the game actually isn't that strategic. I've you know, I mean I've played on the hardest level and at the end of the day, it's just about getting above a certain benchmark in DPS, and you do that by following a strict rotation. I mean, in some way, it's um, analogous to a StarCraft II build or something. It is. Well, it's, it's a system still, optimization. It's still very game. easy. It's not it's an still RPG. very easy. Yeah, it's a system optimization engine. That's all it is, right? It's about learning and mastering certain systems. And a chat room for drama. <laughs> <laughs> Lest we forget. And loot. And loot. Hang on, though. There was one game you were really sort of high on, uh, Julian. That was, um, what was it, Toy Soldiers? Yeah, the, the tower defense World War One type game. Yeah, and actually, that the wasn't there a deal where you could be a dude? Yeah, the thing that actually was sort of so interesting about that was that um, it, it is tower defense, and that you're dropping down a flamethrower, you're dropping down a uh, you know machine gun emplacement, um, but but you could always choose to hop into any of them and turn it into a direct shooter. And in in some levels, particularly in some levels where you really needed to be a sniper because you needed to take care of some bad guys that were really powerful from a distance, 
um, you really had to play it that way. You had to make that choice to say, okay, I've set things up enough that I don't need to micromanage putting a new unit out for a little while. Now I really need to go make sure that I'm sniping the most valuable units coming in from the enemy. Or I really need to make sure that my flamethrower unit is really doing the most damage they can. So I hop in there and make sure I'm you know, laying down the right field of fire. And that was part of why that game was so interesting. Without that, I, it was really just tower defense. It was just put it down and wait. Right? But the idea that you could put it down and then hop in uh, is what made that game so interesting. And I'd point out there's actually been some expansions to that, which are also awesome. Sounds like we need to do a show on that, uh, show on that game. We should. It's brilliant. We it's should cheap. do a show on just tower defenses. There's a lot of brilliant mods. I really like tower defenses. Um, I, go on. Yeah, I, I think actually I, I love tower defense. I think that, I mean, talk about things that I don't necessarily want to see coming in from other genres. Um, the, the sort of iPhoneization of tower defense actually kind of turned me off the genre. Right. I, I actually enjoyed tower defense a lot more as Warcraft three mods than I did uh, as flash based desktop tower defense, which is really right. what, what the sort of iPhoneization of tower defense became. Um, you know, I thought Plants vs. Zombies was a brilliant take on the same basic premise. Um, and, and since then, I, I have yeah, played went downhill. It. Yeah, well, except for Toy Soldiers. I really think Toy yeah. Soldiers, for me, really really reinvigorated that and the expansions they've made for that, you know, letting you, letting you hop into airplanes and do, you know, plane to plane combat over your toy soldiers two battlefield. So much fun. And so but that, go- that goes back to what we said. I mean, that goes back to the whole idea of being able to manipulate the world you're, you know, overseeing and, you know, doing your strategy for right. Play it any way you want. Right. That's yeah, it is. We all want our cake and eat it too. So that's basically the the moral of the story is we're just big selfish bastards, all of us. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, any other like, um, I mean, anything else you guys have like seen in other genres like see more of in strategy? Julian, you said you had a huge list. I, I was I was going to be nice and let our guests speak first, though. Um, I, I was just going to say quests. I I don't know. I have kind of a rant about quests. Uh, just oh, the idea of how yeah. they're implemented. Well, I was just thinking about it because, you know, I mean, I play a lot of Civilization. And I remember back in Civ 4, they had these, there'd be these random prompts and they'd be like, you know, we need seven libraries. And if you got the libraries, you'd get resources or something would happen. And it'd kind of be its own, like, force quest. But it was so ridiculous. And a lot of the times you wouldn't even have seven cities. Right. You know, right. at the beginning of the game. And it was kind of just like, why is this in my game? And you got what they're trying to do. They're trying to add a quest or kind of a guideline or an objective, but it's completely off the wall. And that just made me think as a whole, quests in general in RTS games are not, I mean, RTS or turn based or strategy as a whole are not really perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think in Civ 5, the way they've changed that, which really is down to city states. Um, and to some extent, the sort of demands of your cities, you know, that Rome needs gold or whatever. Um, you know, is it too dumb now to just give them gold and suddenly you get a population and that's it? That's, you yeah, know, cheap. That, that, yeah, I mean, there's certainly not a lot of – it seems sort of like an annoyance as much as a as, as an enjoyable component of the game. So I, I think I agree. I think that there's, there's a real lack of any kind of storyline running through most strategy games. But I think, again, most strategy games, certainly the ones that we play and talk about here, really are system optimization engines more than they are anything that's got a story to them 
Um, there are exceptions. They try to bring it in. They still try to bring in the story. Like, yeah. Civilization might not be telling a story, but it's about how you're building an empire. So when they do things like... Um, even like the religions in Civ Four, they were pretty horribly in- implemented. But if they were done another way, they would have been fascinating. Like if by picking a religion, every culture got one, and it had benefits, sort of like a multi-layer experience. Like if you picked one and you were Egyptian, you had extra culture for your uh, borders, things like that. Like if they were um, almost racial traits, you picked a religion and it gave you better traits instead of just having to spread missionaries everywhere and everything. That would have been kind of interesting, and they could have made kind of quests about that. Like, your city wants your, um, you know, religious building, and if you do that, you go into Golden Age. That could have been kind of a quest without telling a story, but it still would have been a lot more involving than just build some libraries. Right. And, by the way, send missionaries everywhere for happiness and gold. Right. I mean, I think this gets to one of the things on my list, which is that one of the things out of RPGs that I wish we saw more of um, is real personalization. I mean, the in in most strategy games, there's not much sense that your game is unique, right? That your where you end up is particularly uh, you, right? And and in a good RPG, um, there's at least this illusion that the course of your game has really changed the nature of the character you're playing, right? And even in something like Dragon Age, which you're following very static storylines to a conclusion there is sort of the sense that you've made a lot of choices along the way and you've chosen how to develop a particular character and what skills to give them etc and most most strategy games treat that kind of personalization in in a very very thin way right i mean it pretty much just comes down to variations on tech trees right that's how you personalize your particular approach to a game and in something like civ 5 the tech tree decisions are often just ones of timing Right? I mean, it's pretty rare you win a game of Civ Five without having developed 90% of the same tech as anybody else who won a game of Civ Five. Right. So, I mean, what you, what you want is like a game, a game that sort of like lets you really spec out your, your faction, basically. Yeah. And I mean, and, and even in, I mean, Civ, not to pick on Civ Five, um, you know, there's really so little difference between, say, one civilization and another, and those are the ones baked into the game. And ultimately, they come down to some very minor differences in stats under the hood, I'm assuming, that I can't see, and really just a couple of units that, that I'll get that somebody else won't get. Well, well, they start touching on it with their um, leaders, but they're too afraid to make it too different. Like, for example, if you're playing Gandhi, you kind of want to have just three cities anymore and your unhappiness gets kind of unmanageable because he has a racial feat that I forgot the exacts of it, but it's about happiness in small right. uh, cities. And But that's I mean, a that's pretty kind thin of an, differentiation. It's very thin, but it's a start. And it's kind of like combining that with the social policies, which I really did like. I like that feature in Civ a lot that you can't activate other branches if you have another yeah, branch you have, pick. you have to make real hard choices. Talent that I really, I really liked. liked. That. I really liked and, that. and combining that, if they'd made the leaders a little more rigid, or maybe if they'd you know, re-added religion as being uh, something everyone starts with, but by picking a certain religion, you had, um, you know, you could only do certain policies, something like that. If they used it in a different way, you could have had this really multi-layered, almost RPG-esque uh, building up a stat, only instead of a character, it's a civilization. Right. And that would have been really fascinating on And the instead, what we end up with is either these very thin distinctions between Gandhi and Montezuma, 
Right. And, and yes, there are definite pros and cons, but it's not like either one of them can't win any victory condition if you build it right. Um, or you end up with something like a Starcraft two where you've got, you know, one big fundamental decision faction, right? Like, like, are you going to play Protoss? Right. If well, you I choose that decision, you have a Starcraft. very different strategy. Like I think Starcraft's one of the few ones that starts to get it on its own level because, there's just counters to everything, but it becomes that you start to see these really almost chess-like moves where uh, if someone's teching up a certain way, you have to counter-tech, and you do start to get your own strategy. Like, uh, if you start watching the pro games for StarCraft II, you'll notice that a lot of them have their special builds they do. Like, one guy's always going to do Reaver Harassment, and that's going to be his marker. And it's 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 not the same as having your own character, but it is kind of a marking. You know what I mean? It's it's better than a well, lot of that's, games. That's a little bit like saying that a certain player in chess always has a really aggressive mid game, right? And and always always slow plays the, the opening. I mean, yeah. the, 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 that really just comes down to your expression of the game. But ultimately, the tools that StarCraft gives you aren't particularly expressive. Right. They're, they're just chess pieces. So, I mean, were you guys a little disappointed? I mean, maybe not. Maybe it's not fair to put this on Civ five, but let's say like I looked at Civ five and I thought the social policies thing was pretty cool. But it also sort of made me think, man, what if somebody just like went crazy with this sort of skill tree, basically, for a for a, for a race or a faction and basically turned it into like strategy Diablo or strategy Torchlight? Where you can you basically end up with you can take you can take your your faction in so many different directions and you can really specialize in just a couple things that will completely change the way you approach each situation rather than the way it is in StarCraft where you're still basically all operating from the same playbook. Not StarCraft, not Civ Five. That's exactly kind of what I thought about Civ Five, and I got even more, like, I've thought about this a lot, I guess, I'm a nerd, but uh, I've thought about a lot about how uh, you can make things more cultural. Like, for example, the resources, I remember reading something back when Civ Five was in the development that they were going to make the resources cultural and different. Like, you were going to have things like, uh, if you were Aztec, you'd have chickens instead of cows, and maybe they would give you a special bonus. I don't know, remember where I read it, but it never made it to the game. And I remember thinking, like, that kind of level, like, if they did it even beyond the social policies, if you made it to the point where, for example, if you played a certain race, they got more gold from a certain asset, but they had more chance of maybe having storms wiping out their crops or something. You know what I mean? Playing to historical problems in the region or something. I, I kind of feel like strategy devs are often sort of prison to, prisoner to game balancing, though, because that's, exactly. always, that's always such a huge complaint uh, in the forums, especially, but it drives players nuts, and justly so, when it becomes apparent that there are factions that basically just have major advantages over everybody else. We talked about this when we were talking about um, Master of Orion and that other game, Master of Magic, um, where Master of Orion was a game where they really didn't care if it was all balanced or not. Like, you know, all these races had really distinctive characteristics and required different strategies. Some were better than others, and they just kind of rolled with that. But I think the modern sensibility is it had all better balance out somehow. So you don't make, you know, you don't make um, England get too big a benefit from having... You know, just like something you could throw in there, like a city on on an ocean, you know, 
a coastal city. Like, you don't want to make the English get too big a bonus from that because that might imbalance the economy in the game. But that, but it's it's imbalances that sort of create differentiation. Hmm. But they still end up imbalanced in their own way. Like, I remember in Civ Four, there were certain leaders you would always play, and there was also a way to uncheck uh, the leader traits, and that made it so you could have whatever you really wanted. And I, I don't know, I remember Civ Four becoming really imbalanced the way people played it, especially in multiplayer. So you got to wonder if all the balancing is for naught at times. Like, they worry so hard about walking the fine line and they don't take as many risks, but then at the end of the day, people find a way to... Um, skew things anyway and you know exploit or make a really imbalanced combination that the developers didn't think of yeah so so on this idea of of trying to make the games truly our own and and have our experiences be really unique i mean let me let me toss the last item on my list and after this i got nothing like one of the things that has been i think really prevalent in a lot of other genres although probably not first person shooters um, is this sort of rise of user-created content. And we've seen this in mods, right? Certainly you look at something like Fall from Heaven 2, right? Which is freaking brilliant, right? But that I don't consider that like user-created content with big quotes around it the same way I think of, uh, you know, Second Life or Little Big Planet or something like that as really thriving on user-generated content. What we've got is a set of tools that allow a small handful of extremely talented people to make maps, really, I mean, or total conversions. I mean, I would love to see a way to have some, you know, to, to bring user-created content into the experience a little bit more in a strategy game. How we do that, I'm not smart enough to figure out, but it seems like a good idea. Have you played the StarCraft II user-created stuff that was going on during uh, the beta of it? I played some of the maps, but that's pretty much it. Oh, they they had first-person mode. You could go first-person and shoot Zerglings. They had recreations of Final Fantasy. They had a recreation of Diablo. I mean, that was one of the first times I'd seen really brilliant um, user-created content beside the, besides the Civilization stuff. Huh. Well, I, I definitely need to dig into that i know that some there i know that there have been some some user created maps that over in the gamers with jobs world have gotten tons of play that i just haven't gotten to um but but as far as like sort of really unique content i hadn't seen that yet so i i clearly just needed to dig in more has it sort of lived up to that promise after release you know i stopped following it after release in that regard so i i don't know it was it was really uh, now that i think about it it's kind of sad because was one of the most promising thing about StarCraft because I remember someone had made a spore simulator. You could actually go around and you'd play your Zergling and you'd play it sort of like a flash game and level it up. And it was in StarCraft 2 because they had so oh, much cool. user-created content. But now I don't really hear much about it. Now, right now, it's all about leagues and rankings. Mm-hmm. And I think it's losing some of the magic. And that might just be speaking to the mod community as a whole. You know, it's always flavor of the week and stuff. People change their uh, efforts. Well, I mean, that's, that always seems to be a persistent problem, is that it, it seems really hard to make people actually take part in in the mod community. I think part of it is just the, that a lot of mods require a certain amount of technical know-how just to make sure that they're working. Um, and so many mods basically never see the light of day because it's hard to keep a mod team going. Yeah, the uh, mod team's the worst part because uh, engines especially, because I've, I've worked on development of mods, so I know firsthand that some people, like, if you lose one valuable person, because what happens is a lot of uh, 
big companies come in and they take your most talented person yeah. and then now they're working for Rockstar and you're like, well, that's great, but our mod can no longer be patched because he was our mapper and he was the only one who knew the engine perfectly yeah. and uh, he was why our maps were so brilliant and now we just have some guys that can do AI, a decent script writer and uh, nothing, project dead in water, you know, and you might put out a looking for you know, looking for a member, and we even offered pay in ours. We were like, hey, you know, if we can get a good map maker here, we'll pay you. Couldn't find anyone who could do it right, you know? It was just the talent was sucked out to the, you know, big industry. Right, right. Uh, I just feel like that's, I mean, even on smaller scale things, where it doesn't have to be a mod, but even things like, um, you know, the operational art of war, I always ran into the problem of where were the good maps? Uh, where were the good scenarios? Like, people could design pretty much whatever they wanted in that game, but you, you suffered in that problem where it was, there's simply too much stuff there to, to keep track of it all. A lot of these scenarios were half-baked. And so, uh, you know, speaking for myself, I've always sort of, I get interested in mods, but then when I when I consider, like, the hard work it takes of singling out and finding something really good, I, I sort of lose interest, and then I just go back to waiting for whatever the next piece of official content is going to be from the developer. And and I know that cheat I know that cheats me out of great experiences because I mean there are so many, um, you know there's there's so many games and so many so many developers who've gotten their starts through modding, and there's all these mods that you know everyone's played. Like you guys are talking about natural selection. I've never played that, and I get. Well, luckily the next one, the next one's coming out as a real game, so you can actually support the mod makers in their first commercial endeavor. So that's kind of cool. Not to advertise for them, I just think it's really cool that they're making that step. But I I think uh, the problem with the modding industry, not to like go off into this tangent, but I just think that a the talent bleeds out, but b even if there's good communities, sometimes they get outdated. My friends run ModDB, which is like the big Mm -hmm. modding site. But it's too much of a um, hodgepodge of everything. There's just thousands of mods, and even if the best-ranked ones do rise to the top, which is nice, but there's a lot of gems that you just completely miss because they didn't get enough upvotes. You know, it's kind of a Reddit dig system. And I think, like, sometimes you'll see specialized sites do it really well. Like, I know there was a StarCraft map database. I don't remember the site. And this is just for the original StarCraft and for like five to ten years, these guys just had built up this amazing database. And it was great. You'd go there and you'd type Final Fantasy and you'd see, you know, thousands of comments for even the worst maps because these people were so passionate. And you kind of need that or you need someone like Steam to, you know, jump in and make modding more accessible like they did. They did do that. You know, they put a, they put in mods, but they were kind of self-serving. Like they picked up, you know, the Half-Life co-op mod and they added that in because obviously it helps Steam out. But it'd be nice if you could get... Uh, mods for every game, just click of a button, installed instantly. Right, and there, there was one game that, that did seem to be moving in that direction, and that was actually Making History 2, um, a game that I did not like and did not give a good review to, but it was it, one, of the, one of the reasons I decided to review it was they had some really cool ideas, and one of them was they weren't going to create like a wall between the core game and the modding community. They were going to make it very easy, like plug and play, like go online, find a mod, click install, and it would just be part of the, you know, it would basically convert your game so you could play that mod. Um, and that, that's a feature that I would I would love to see more implemented with maybe more popular games. 
I would like to see a third-party system pick that up, either Steam or something else. Yeah. I mean, I know um, I know Desura is working on that. They've been mentioned by Rock Paper Shotgun a few times. But I would like to see a successful one. I can't comment because I don't know if they're um, going to be successful yet. But I would like to see a third-party thing that did it for all games, especially strategy games, because I think they suffer the most because I've noticed the FPS communities, for whatever reason, there's a lot more sites dedicated to modding your FPS games. And even Steam will pick it up, like I said, and add the mods into Steam sometimes. So. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just a function, too, of, well, there's a lot more people playing FPSs. But also, I think, I, I think a lot of strategy gamers are sort of serial monogamists, right? Where they just, you know, this is the game they're playing for a long time, then they're going to move on to the next one. And I don't think there's necessarily that, that same hunger for new content um, that drives a lot of FPS players to just start looking around for what else they can do with their game. It is interesting that most of the FPS mods, because there's a lot of them, a lot of them do that RTS elements in them, like we talked about earlier. So it's kind of interesting that they're that FPS players will bring strategy into their games with their mods. I find right. I don't know, I just find that interesting. Um, so I think we should probably leave off there. Uh, we're getting a little long. Um, but before we, before we break it off for tonight, um, I should remind everyone that the Flash of Steel donation drive continues. Um, if you go to flashofsteel.com and click the donate button, um, your money will be... Um, transmogrified into writing on Flash of Steel and podcasts. And beer um, in Troy's refrigerator. That too. Uh, well, that fuels the writing and the podcast. <laughs> ah, that's right. There we go. Um, so if you'll just head over to flashofsteel.com and push the donate button, um, we'll all be extremely grateful. Um, and that does it for our show. Um, thanks, Julian and Rhea, for joining me tonight. Um, and we'll be back next week. But for now, I guess we should say goodnight. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night.